Hey, Al. Hey, Barry. What tabletop role-playing game does Karl Marx play? What game? I mean, it's just D&D, but he disabled the class system. It's time for Compelled Duel! Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Compelled Duel. I'm Barry. And I'm Al. And we are a single-player, co-DM'd D&D 5e actual play podcast. Previously on Compelled Duel. There are these big, uh, permanent teleportation circles, I suppose is the way to put it. And there's one in the Zephyr Isles, and it's in Pearlport. Huh. That sounds like Demora's doorstep. Back it up, back it up. Who's Sabine? You met her in the nightclub. She tried to cast Vicious Mockery on you. Oh. Oh, oh my god, Fee! Also, again, she is the captain's wife. They're separated. Oh my god, Fee! The wind is blowing. Thunder is roaring. The ship is pitching back and forth very precariously. I'll get inside in a minute. The mass is about to go down, and I... And she hacks at one of the ropes and just yells up at the sky, Do not hacks at another rope, except this! And you watch as a lightning bolt comes out of the sky and just hits her dead on, and she goes down like a sack of bricks. What does that mean? She does not get the chance to do any death saves. She is automatically dead as she hits the deck. You killed me. So you could give me some vague cryptic bullshits about the importance of family? My family is on that ship. When something as insurmountable as overcoming death is on the table, sometimes the best thing any of us can do is trust our brother. I pull Kimrel's blade out of its holster and I hold the broken portal key to her chest I shake her by the shoulders and say, No, 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 no. Hey, look at me. You, you don't get to leave me. You don't get to leave me. And I cast Revivify. Leah, it is the day after we left off. It's the first time there's been kind of a moment of calm since the battle. So the crew are handling funeral arrangements for the people that died on the Australian ship. You kind of don't really get everything that's going on. First of all, it's not like Australian funeral practices. And also there's a lot of kind of religious ceremony that you don't really understand. Doc is reading passages out of the book. Everybody's just kind of watching. Six or seven members of the crew went down during that naval combat, and they are all just kind of lined up in boxes on the deck. The rest of the crew and the entire crew of the Moray are just kind of arrayed in a semicircle. There's a lull of silence, and from a few people down the line, 
You just hear you clap a hand over her mouth. (laughs) Boots just like instantly reaches out and hugs her very close to his chest. The boxes are weighted down, pushed off the side of the boat into the ocean. Everybody takes a second and then slowly starts to disperse. Uh, What are you doing? Staying as far the hell out of the way as I can, while still being respectful. Um, where is Fee? Is she still resting? She also felt it would be more respectful to come out on deck, but, like, she is still operating under several levels of exhaustion. She could not get out of bed, so you just kind of left her there and then went. Okay, cool. I'm gonna go try to find the captain. Captain's not hard to find. As everyone disperses, he kind of takes a second and just sits on the upper deck by the wheel. He definitely for sure has a flask in his hand and is just taking a long swig out of it. As you come up, he raises it to you and says, Cheers. Yeah, you uh, mind if I get a nip of that? He pauses for a second like he's thinking about it and then says, Ah, fine. And then hands it to you. Leo takes a big old pull out of the flask and then nods down towards the door of the captain's quarters. She's awake. She's, well, not fine, but lucid. Right. It's good to hear. He kind of like tilts his head and he says, Would have been a shame to disturb her, but I do have to write some letters to the families. Leo winces and just stares down at where the coffins were on the deck a minute ago, and then nods to himself. No more of this. The captain's face goes very still and very hard and set, and he takes another long swig out of the flask and he says, We're agreed on that. Well, now that I have access to... And he raises a hand and just kind of does a controlled sacred flame in it, and then clenches his fist to extinguish it. Certain abilities again. I think it'll help give us an edge, but it does leave me with a couple questions. First of all, what's our next step? We took a lot of damage. I don't think we can limp to Pearlport like this. Ah, no. We'll have to stop the next island we hit and hope it's inhabited so we can get some supplies. He kind of nods back towards where the rest of the crew are, and he says, Oscott can pretty well handle repairs, but he needs to have tools for it. Which leads me to my next point, which is that I need tools to be able to do what I do as well. Only other magic user on the ship's pelican, right? I, uh, a couple members of the crew can do little things, but nothing so impressive as either of you. I'll ask Pelican if he has anything that I need that I can borrow, but I somehow doubt it. His, uh, he waves vaguely up in the rigging at where Pelican is. His, uh, whole thing is a little antithetical to clerical magic, I think. Well, that's a nice way of putting it. I usually just say it's batshit crazy. Captain, there's not anything going on anywhere around any of us anymore that's not batshit crazy. So, if Pelican doesn't have what I need, I was wondering if I could pick through some of the things we confiscated from the Australian ship. My particular brand of magic is stronger than that of most of the people in Australia that use it 
but it is common. So there might be some spell components stashed away in the supplies we were able to confiscate. I know pirates have the whole division of loot thing. I wouldn't want to step on any toes with that, but if I can find things that I need to be able to prevent this sort of situation from happening again, I think that maybe I should get precedence. I, you're part of this crew. You're entitled to your share. And then he waves a hand. He says, usually let Pelican get first pick anyway. I know spellcasting's a bit tedgy. I go find Pelican. Pelican's up in the rigging. He usually is. If you stop under a mast and, like, wave that you would like to talk to him, he drops out. Hey, Pelican, I was just wondering if you had some spell components I could borrow. Now that I've got a little bit of my mojo back, I'm in the market for some spell supplies. The bird says, Ah, yes. Let me show you to my supplies. And then he just walks off down the deck. <laughs> Leo lets him get a couple paces ahead, whispers, I'm gonna regret this, and then follows him. You have never been, for obvious reasons, in Boots and Pelican's little apartment. It is strained. It's furnished very simply. There's just like a bed, a chest of drawers. There's a big mirror in the corner, but it is covered now, as most of the mirrors on the ship are, since everybody died in the combat. Pelican opens the chest of drawers and just rummages around and pulls out a big box. You, as he is doing that, notice that there is a big cobweb just in a corner with a spider just scurrying around on it that the bird goes up to and just kind of looks at. Pelican just hauls this box out of the chest of drawers, closes it, puts it on the lid, and then opens it up and pulls out a couple of bottles. There's a jar full of seeds. There's one that have like what look like some kind of bug legs. <laughs> he has like a little bag of just charcoal that he pulls out. And then a big jar of what look to be tentacles floating in some kind of brine. He turns back to you and blinks, and the bird says, Is any of this of use to you? Um, are those octopus legs? Pickled, yes. I think I'm gonna go look down in the hold. Thank you, Pelican. And Leo turns around and leaves. The bird calls after you, sounding a little bit miffed. <laughs> Suit yourself. <laughs> Yeah, I'd like to go down to the hold. I'm gonna go look through some of the chests that we confiscated from the Australian ship, because I don't need any octopus legs. Nobody has really been through all of the confiscated loot. None of it is really sorted out into, like, genres of stuff. It's kind of just all thrown in there. Can I just tell you, as the DM, things that I need or things that I would like to find and then roll for it? Uh, yeah, sure. Okay. I have a grocery list. I need diamonds for revivify spells, so a uh, hundred gold piece for each revivify spell that I could break off, so however many diamonds I could find. I need at least 200 gold worth of powdered silver for a couple different spells. 
I need at least 25 gold worth of incense for another spell. And I remembered that I fucked up when I did that scrying spell last episode because I'm supposed to have a scrying focus worth at least a thousand gold pieces. That can be a mirror or a crystal ball or a font full of holy water or any other kind of expensive magical reflective thing, I guess. Whoopsie. So we're just going to say that the captain had a really nice mirror in his room and I just used that. But if I intend to cast that spell again, I do need to get a scrying focus. So I am looking for all of those, and I'm guessing I'm just going to have to roll something to see how much, if anything, I can find. Roll me either Investigation or Arcana, whichever one you'd like. Okay, well, I get the same modifier for both of those, so flavor-wise, let's just say it's Arcana. 17 on the die plus 3. Dirty 20. A 20 was what you needed to get at least one of all of the things that you requested. You do not get repeats of any of the components that you needed, but you managed to find 25 gold pieces worth of incense. You managed to find about 200 gold pieces worth of powdered silver. You find one diamond that you think you could cast Revivify with. And as you open up one of these chests, your eyes immediately go to a perfectly round, perfectly smooth crystal ball about six inches across that instantly reminds you of being a kid and watching your mother use divination magic and especially scrying leo grabs all of the other supplies tucks them away into his hip pouch and then really carefully picks up the crystal ball if there's a cloth in there with it which there should be he remembers that his mom taught him to never directly touch a crystal ball unless you're scrying with it and just really gently picks it up and holds it, and looks at it for a really long time, and folds it up in the cloth and puts it in his bag. Since you got that 20, just barely, as you lift this crystal ball, you see under it in the chest, there is this wide strip of black leather, The tooling on it is very interesting. It is burnished and shiny, but tooled into it is a pattern that looks almost like feathers or scales or something. You look at it, and you are filled with a certainty that you want this. Yeah, but the thing about Leo is that he doesn't trust what he wants anymore. Can I Arcana check it to see if it's going to curse me? Roll Arcana. Twelve. It doesn't seem like it's gonna curse you. Okay, cool. I pick it up, take a look at it. It is, again, just this burnished black leather bracer. You were looking at kind of the overside of it. As you pick it up, you notice it has laces on the underside, so you can tighten it around your arm. And on the side of it, there is this big, kind of rough chunk of amethyst. Mostly flat against the surface of it, but raised a little bit from the side. What would I need to do to just kind of fuck around with this and see what it is? Attune to it? With that arcana check, it is definitely magical. 
but you get the feeling that you would need to attune to it to figure anything else out. Okay, cool. I'm going to pack up all of my other stuff and then go sit in the hallway outside of the hold and attune to this thing. Absolutely. You just sit out in the hallway for an hour with it. You get the feeling that the enchantment of it is focused on this gemstone set into the side. Okay, I'm going to fiddle with the gem. Do you have Kimrel's blade on you? Yeah, always. It's in its sheath at my belt. As you run your fingers over this chunk of amethyst, the weight of it disappears from your belt. Oh, fuck me! Leo stands up and yells, this is bad! Yep, your knife is no longer on your belt. You still got this bracer in your hands. Ah! (laughs) I slap at the gem again, trying to undo whatever the fuck it is I just did. You slap at the gem with one hand, and in your other hand, Kimrel's blade appears again. Leo holds onto it with a vice grip for a couple seconds, breathing very heavily, and then slowly blinks and goes, Huh. I'm gonna push the gem again. Knife's gone. I push it again. It's back in your hand. Oh, that's sick as hell. (laughs) I put the bracer on and lace it up, and then I'm gonna go check on Fee. Fee, you are trancing for most of the next day. There are fleeting moments of lucidity, times that you wake up and your brother is there. There's a moment where you wake up and have a brief discussion about the fact that they are outside on the deck doing funeral services for the people that perished in the fight with the Australian pirates. You try to get up out of bed, figure out very quickly that you cannot, and Leo agrees to go for both of you. Not long after he leaves to go do that, you pass out again. And in all of these times when you are semi-conscious and trancing, you are dreaming, and your dreams are just wild. You dream of purplish-greenish skies and impossibly tall buildings that glow like mirrors reflecting the sun. You dream of a mountaintop in a blizzard and the sound of a battering ram hammering at the door of a temple. And then right after this brief moment where you're awake and have this conversation with Leo where he leaves, you fall back into your trance, and you dream of a very quick succession of visions. You see the expansive docks of a port town that is just totally on fire. All of the buildings, all of the docks burning. There are terrified people running around. If you stop long enough to look at them, you can see that they're all storm folk, and you see shadows moving on the ships that are moored to the sides of the docks, and you hear a voice saying, What will you do? And then the vision crashes out of your consciousness, and you are in another one. You are standing on the prow of a ship, facing down a line of opposed ships that are off in the distance. 
there is a massive storm rolling in overhead, and something in your gut tells you just how outnumbered you are. And a voice in your head says, What will you do? And then the vision crashes out of your head and you are sucked into another one. You are standing on a black sand beach, looking out to a horizon that is illuminated by burning ships. On the shores next to you, you hear the clash of steel on steel and see blood in the waves washing up over your feet. There are people around you fighting people you know. You see Kalesa, you see Fen, you see friends of Leo's who you met briefly. And a voice in your head says, What will you do? And then that vision crashes out of your head and you are sucked immediately into another one. There is a sense of calm in this one. You are standing in what is very clearly a cave. Along the damp walls of stone, there are soft aurora-like light effects of greens and purples and grays and blues that are just flashing, illuminating the scene before you. You are looking down at a table, hewn out of the stone of the cave itself. And on the table, to your right, there is a magnificent mithril sword with an ornate leather-wrapped grip. And to your left, there is a mithril kite shield inscribed with a large bolt of lightning shooting across the face. You look at these two items. And then you look up, and behind the table, there is a tall, hooded figure wrapped in a stormy cloak, with two bright points of electricity for eyes, and a bright lightning bolt smile. Kiva reaches out, grabs you by the chin, and holds your gaze, and says, What will you do? And you wake up with a jolt. As you come to, back in the captain's quarters, Doc is hovering over you. She has her medical kit open on the bedside table next to you. She nods down at you and says, Morning, sunshine. Can't believe both of those lads let you sleep all night in soaking wet clothes. You're like to catch your death. Er, well, ah, uh, that was insensitive, wasn't it? And then she just keeps digging around at her medical kit. She laughs. Just <laughs> Doc's facial expression softens a little bit, and she smiles down at you, and then very carefully reaches down under your head and tries to help you sit up. Right, lass, up with you. She helps with the process of setting her up as much as possible. No, but really, you're going to get pneumonia if we don't get these wet clothes off you. Is that all right? Can I help you with that? Uh. Yeah, that's that's fine. She's very clinical in the way that she goes about it. You can tell that she's a very experienced medical professional. But as she goes to help with getting the rest of your shirt off, you hear her go, Oh, by Demora's hammer! She's behind you, looking at something on your back. You can't tell what. Uh, what? What's going on? Looks like that lightning bolt did a real number on you. 
she helps you pivot around on the bed so that your back is facing at a certain angle and then goes over to the captain's dresser and picks up a small hand mirror that is sitting on the top and hands it to you. Your back is facing a floor-length covered mirror, but Doc goes over and briefly pulls the curtain over to the side so that you can kind of angle the hand mirror to get a look at your back. Okay, I do that. As you look down at yourself, you can see a little bit of what's happening on the front of your torso. It looks like when the lightning hit you, the electricity conducted very prominently through the scale mail on the shoulders and neck of the Gift of the Stormbringer. Because as you look down in front of you at both your shoulders and down a little bit beyond your collarbones, there are just these bright white scars in jagged Lichtenberg figure patterns stretched all the way across the front of your chest and over your shoulders. And then when you look down into the hand mirror and catch the reflection of your back in the other floor length mirror behind you, you see that that scarring has extended down your back on both sides of your spine in a pattern that almost looks like wings. Like folded, leathery wings with scalloped edges against your back outlined in these Lichtenberg figures that are shooting down across your skin. And you hurt. The area on your skin where the scarring is hurts like a motherfucker. But you just sit here looking at this and... As you look down into the hand mirror again, you can see that one streak of hair coming up from your forehead and down over one of your shoulders has gone stark white, as opposed to its typical black. He puts the hand mirror down, like face down on the side table like it is a grenade. Right, that's interesting. Okay. Hi. Interesting sure is a word. And Doc goes over and covers up the floor-length mirror again with the gauzy black fabric that was draped over it. She comes back and sits down on the edge of the bed with you. She has all kinds of medical instruments with her, a stethoscope, a couple other things. She checks in on your heart rate. And then she leans back over your shoulder and looks at that scarring down both sides of your back again. There's gonna be some nerve damage. I'm sure you've already felt that, though. Uh, yeah, everything's pretty painful right now. Right, that I can help with. She dips down into her medical kit, rattles around for a second, and comes up with a little glass vial that she presses into your hand and goes, Bottoms up, then? I trust Doc implicitly in this matter, so bottoms up, sure, down the hatch. This potion that she has given you takes effect in seconds. The pain is dulled, but also you feel like your cognitive processes are pretty slowed. You feel kind of high. <laughs> Very floaty, but you don't hurt as much anymore for sure. And at this point, I'd like you to roll an arcana check on yourself, so you will have advantage since it's on you. But as you 
get a little tipsy off of whatever medicine Doc just gave you, you have the feeling that something about your magic inherently is kind of weird. 19. Okay, so you're able to figure out everything. So, Fee, number one, your whole ordeal has given you another sorcerer level. And number two, your subclass has changed. You are no longer a divine soul sorcerer. You are now a storm sorcerer. Yeah, baby. So that comes with its whole own set of new things that you can do now, and some things that you can no longer do. But yes, essentially, your magic has fundamentally changed. Doc helps you out of the rest of your wet clothes and into a dry set, changes the sheets on the bed, does her best to make you comfortable. And then she leaves a couple more vials of that medicine on the bedside table next to you, pets your hair back from your head, and says, You'll be alright, lass. You've got fight in you. I see it. And she kind of just pats your cheek a little too hard and turns around and walks out of the captain's quarters. She runs into the captain and Leo as she's walking out. The captain shoulders past her, sees that you are awake and lucid, and immediately books it over to sit on the side of the bed with you. Ah, look at you. Bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. What's a storm got on you? Ah. <laughs> uh, well, you don't want me to answer that, honestly, or this conversation's gonna get very sad. I'm good. Uh, Doc got me fixed up. I'm tired, but fine. Leo, who's still hovering in the doorway, looks at the captain very heavily and goes, You're gonna have all the time you need to rest. We've got it handled. Got what What handled? What are we doing? I'm, I'm fine. I can help. I don't think you can right now. We are apparently getting the ship to the closest port so Ascot can get resources to make repairs. We took a little bit of a beating before I was able to stop everything. Uh, sure. Where's the nearest port? Do we need to look at the maps, figure that out? I. The captain shakes his head and gently nudges you as if to ask you to lay back down. Don't worry yourself, lass. Besides, the masts took a little too much damage for us to be worried about catching much wind, but we're gonna be at the nearest island in about uh, eight, nine hours, and apparently your brother can control the ocean now, so... <laughs> well, that's new. Leo grimaces and shakes his head. Not new, just newly available. Well, I'm not complaining, but so much for more lines in the sand. Leo looks like he wants to say something really bitchy for a second, but then visibly reins himself in. He leans over the other side of the bed and just reaches out and very carefully squeezes your hand. I said that there wasn't anything in this world that I could think of that would make me willing to draw on that power. I couldn't think of losing you. That changed things. <sighs> well, now I feel like a bitch. He squeezes your arm a little harder and winks at you. Love you too. And then he turns around and leaves. Fee grumbles mutinously and then looks at the captain and says, Really, is there, is there anything I can do? I, just, I feel useless and I don't need to be up and walking around to read a map. 
I can help. I just, I, I can. The captain frowns a little bit and nods to himself. We've got plenty of people on this ship that are capable of reading maps. But, uh, for what I've got in mind, I think we've only got one person. And he leans down and kisses you. She kisses him back. As he pulls back, she smiles and she says, Your attempt to distract me is only working because I am very heavily medicated right now. Not trying to distract you from anything, lass. Just looking for the strength to go talk to Ascot about what we have to do once we get into port. He pets your hair back and kisses you on the forehead. Rest. For me. (sighs) Fine. And he just lays back down. It is an uneventful eight or so hours. It's pretty early evening by the time the ship pulls up alongside. For a second, you're not sure what you're looking at. It's just this big spire of rock shooting out of the ocean. As the sun starts to go down, you start to see lights way, way up at the top of the spire. And you realize there is a town way up on this rock. The captain at the wheel laughs a little bit as he catches sight of it, and he says, Would be just our luck to run up on East Cliff when we need supplied. Cleo's been out on deck just trying to help however he can. He turns his head back over towards the captain, raises an eyebrow. East Cliff? The captain grims as he goes, It's a little place. They're very out to the way. Smaller towns like this, they don't really have uh, much of a state service presence. They don't have a citadel, that's for damn sure. And it's a bit hard to supply East Cliff specifically, given, uh, and he nods up and up and up at where the town is. That in the last century or so, they've had a hurricane over on the other side of the island. They've had a hurricane for the last century? He looks at you and shrugs. Not a meteorologist, lad. Yeah, sure. Sure, 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 sure. Okay. Leo's just gonna try to facilitate anything he can to help get the ship docked and get this whole situation over with. There is a little dock at the bottom of this huge spire of rock. You manage to get anchored in. There's not a lot of people on these docks. There are two fishing boats moored at other places around it. You can already tell this is not a super populated island. You see a stone staircase carved into the rock going up. And the crew all start to file off the ship. As you're all unloading, Fee comes out of the captain's quarters, kind of like swaying. She looks still pretty tired. She sees you, grabs onto your shoulder and goes, So we're here? Wherever the hell here is, yeah. Fantastic. She looks over at this big stone staircase and goes, Ooh, this is not gonna be a fun night. Don't worry, I've got you. Hey, Boots! Oh, thank fuck, I thought you were about to offer to carry me, and I couldn't think of a nice way to tell you how much that wasn't gonna happen. Boots walks over, so she just kind of, like, spreads her arms, poses, and says, Boots, my unending gratitude. Take me away, big man. Boots nods and goes, all right, last, and just crouches down a little bit so she can kind of like clamber up onto his back and he just sets off. 
you all head up this carved stone staircase. You get to the top of this big spire of rock. The town of Eastcliff is not large. There are maybe three dozen houses at a stretch. Everything seems very well-maintained, but it's clearly been maintained for a while. As you get to the peak, you are at such a vantage point that you can see on the other side of the island from the docks a massive, swirling cloud formation. You watch rain and lightning coming down from it. You can see some kind of mass under it. You can't really tell what is going on with that, though. Is the captain anywhere near me? He's walking up ahead of the pack so you can catch up to him. I'm going to run up to him and nod off at the storm. Is that the hurricane you were talking about? I... He's busy, like, trying to stop somebody on the street. He, like, grabs a young woman by the elbow and he says, Lass, if you wouldn't mind getting the head woman, we've got arrangements to discuss. And this young woman says, To bring us anything good, Captain. The captain grimaces. Not as good as I would have liked, but I'd rather discuss that with Ms. Rose, if you don't mind. And this young woman nods, runs off. The crew stop in kind of the main square of this town. Are you doing anything while you're waiting? Leo's got one eye on Fee, one eye on the storm, but other than that, isn't really doing anything. After a few minutes, the young woman that the captain stopped earlier comes out of one of the houses with this older stormfolk lady. Dark, curly hair, brown skin, those big, sharp, sharky teeth and opaque eyes that all stormfolk have. She's, like, dusting her hands off on an apron as she comes out. She nods at the captain. She says, You're a bit late. We ran out of perishables three months ago. The captain grimaces and, like, cringes a little bit. Bad news about that, Ms. Rose. You should have a ship coming pretty soon, but we're undersupplied as it is, and we were actually looking to uh, buy some lumber off you. This older lady kind of frowns. When might that other ship be here? Because we're a bit stretched thin, you understand. Roll inside. 14. There was a palpable dip in the energy of this town when the captain said that you guys were undersupplied. And the head woman in front of you, she looks like she is trying to hide some pretty profound anxiety. If I can, I'd like to shoulder my way to the front of the pack and pull the captain aside for a second. Leo turns over to the head woman and nods. I'm sorry, just a moment. She kind of gives you a weird, confused look, but says, Right, go ahead. I'm going to pull the captain off far enough that we can't be heard by the people surrounding us. I want to run this idea by him first. So... How much did we get in terms of provisions off that Australian ship? I didn't have the chance to really dig through the hold to find out. The captain squints a little bit, and then over his shoulder he calls, Ascot, come over here. Ascot bustles over and says, Oi, what's up? And the captain says, Can we get a rough estimate on the supplies that we managed to loot from the Australian ship? 
Ascot kind of frowns and he says, Ah, enough to get us and the crew of the Moray through the Sleet Gulf if we ration carefully. How much would those supplies feed these people? The captain kind of looks around at the village. About the same, I'd expect, so three weeks, give or take. We should give these people our supplies. Ascot raises his hand a little bit and he says, Noble idea, but I would remind you that uh, we need to eat food to live. Not that I don't want to help the good people of Eastcliff, but uh, I also prefer not being dead. No, you're right. We do need to eat, which is why it's fortunate that I can do this. I cast Create Food and Water. (laughs) It's 45 pounds of food that is bland but nourishing, according to my spellbook, and 30 gallons of water that appears on the ground in front of me. So I cast that, and then I look over at Ascot and the captain. So I can do this about seven times a day, assuming that I'm not casting any beefier magic for combat purposes, which I think should be more than enough to get us to Pearlport, because this is enough to feed 15 people for 24 hours. Caveat. All of this goes bad after 24 hours, whereas whatever we got from that Australian ship is going to last a lot longer. These people can benefit from those provisions better than we can. I can keep us fed. It's not going to be Boots' cooking, but I can keep us fed. Ascot says, Right. I feel insane. I'm going to go scream at the ocean for a moment. (laughs) And he just goes and T-poses on the cliff. I'm going to lead the captain back over to the headwoman and nod at her. Hi, I'm Leo. I'm not important, but we're going to be able to give you a couple weeks worth of rations to keep your people fed until you can get some supplies in. She kind of blinks and like looks over your shoulder at where you have conjured enough food for 15 people that is just laying on the ground. Oi, I've been around too long to ask questions. How much? Oh no, you're not going to be getting that, because that's going to go rotten in like less than 24 hours. We, uh, Captain, do you want to explain what happened? The captain grins a little bit, and he says, Lad, Ms. Rose here doesn't ask about my methods. And the head woman raises both of her hands and says, Never have, as long as I don't have starving kids in my town. I don't particularly care. The captain nods, he says, We'll get the crew to unload those rations for you. And then he looks back at you and he says, said you can do that seven times a day. Again, unless we need me to stop another storm in its tracks, roughly, yes. Reckon that could just about feed all of us and about half of Eastcliff. And he looks at the head woman and he says, does that math seem about right for you? The head woman nods. She says, aye, with a rough head count. The captain grins widely and looks at you and says, We'll get to casting, lad. Um, okay, I'm gonna need vessels, barrels, anything that can hold water. Is there somewhere I can set up shop? Oh god, I don't know how to cook. I'm not a cook. Boots! (laughs) (laughs) This sound, like, gets you set up in the square with uh, enough barrels to hold quite a lot of water. 
it is fresh water and the water does not go bad. The food goes bad after 24 hours. The water does not. The water stays fresh. Okay. After I'm done conjuring up food to feed people, I'd like to go check on Fee, wherever she is. The captain kind of negotiates with the head woman as you're making food for everybody that is injured or ill to stay in town for a bit. They don't really have an inn so much as they have empty houses, but Fee is set up in one of those. You go and check on her. She is semi-conscious. <laughs> you can tell she was just about to go into her trance. I bring her some of the bland but nourishing food that I was able to conjure and just kind of sit on the edge of the bed with her. Fee starts to tuck into the food that you brought her, pauses, squints, says, Oh, this is gross. Yeah, well, it's created by magic, and I did what I could, and all of our fucking paprika's back on the boat, so tuck in. All right, bossy. She's on a lot of pain medication still, but she eats her dinner <laughs> in relative silence. So, how are you feeling? Way better than I will be when my medication wears off. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. I... Fuck, I'm sorry. I went through most of the power that I've got in me right now to try to just get everybody fed. Do you think that maybe a, a cure wounds or something would help? Can I? She kind of frowns and she says, it's fine. You had other stuff to do. Okay, I'm just, I'm going to take my trance, I think. Yeah. Given previous experiences, I'm a little worried about that storm, but... Fee pauses fork halfway to her mouth and says, What storm? You... you didn't see it? I didn't see anything. My face was in Boots' shirt. I saw it as soon as we walked into town. There's this massive storm on the other side of the island. The captain said it's been going for decades. That's... Weird and not how storms usually act. Can I roll insight on the whole situation? Go ahead. 23. You've been in and around the Zephyr Isles long enough, and you've been in the Zephyr Isles during storm season long enough to know that a stationary storm is extremely weird. They move around a lot. They're very inconsistent, which is half the reason for the way that the ship's been bouncing from island to island. Just a massive hurricane, just randomly next to an island for seemingly no reason. That to you says magic. All right, genius. Leo says it with a little more fondness than the typical insult that it would be. Can you think of any reason for... One big storm to stay in one place for over a century that doesn't scream magic to you? Fee kind of tilts her head like she's thinking for a second. Mm, no, I mean, usually the wind would move it. And she makes kind of a vague hand gesture. She goes, uh, clouds are not heavy. I'm not explaining this well. I'm very tired. But the the wind, it can move the clouds. So I don't think... Unless something was keeping it from doing that, right? Yeah, but you said anything that's not magic, so I didn't bring that up. I saw something in there. I couldn't tell what it was. It looked like some kind of 
landmass, maybe another island? Huh. I mean, that would make sense. This place looks like it's uh, part of a mountain. Probably another peak. Leo reaches down and rubs his hand along the leather of his new bracer. No. I've got a weird feeling. There's something going on with that storm. But I'll figure it out later. You finish your dinner. You rest. I'll be right here. She kind of, like, grabs at your arm. She says, can you rub my back? I don't feel good. Yeah, sure. You got it. I'm gonna just do whatever she needs me to do until she falls into her trance. She does that not too terribly long after that. As soon as she's out, I'm just going to go to wherever I can get line of sight on that storm and stare at it for a really long time. Can I arcana check it? Can I do anything? Yeah, go ahead and roll arcana. 17. As this hurricane swirls and lights up with lightning, you realize that as you were sitting with your sister, her cape, like, thrown over a chair, the colors in it pulsed in a really similar way to the way they're pulsing in the storm right now. The eye of the storm widens just a little bit, and you can see that there is definitely a landmass down there. Huh. I'm going to go inside and try to find the captain. The captain's not inside. He's in the square, kind of laying on a bench, looking up at the stars. As you approach, he does not sit up. He just says, what do you want, lad? To ask you what you know about that storm, I've... I don't... This is going to sound stupid. It makes me feel weird. It makes me feel really weird. Like there's something I should know, but I don't. He does sit up at that. I, I don't know much. It's existed for most of my life. Started hearing reports about it out in Pearlport when I was about ugh, close to 50, a little younger. What's inside it? I've seen something in there. Not much. A uh, little tiny spire of rock. As far as I know, it was used for shelter when there were attacks on the island. Sand trees are going now. If there's no flat surface, why would they use it for shelter? The captain snorts. The inside of the whole thing's practically hollow. There's a big fuck-off cave that you can only get to through the water. Century-long storm cropping up around a big fuck-off cave. Unsettling magical vibes. Wait here for a second. He calls after you. All right, thank you for a perfectly normal conversation. I'll be back, jackass. Fuck you. Eat shit. Is Fee trancing when I get back upstairs? Yep. I am going to, as quietly as I can, try to grab the cape. Roll stealth with disadvantage. 21. That rogue level's hurting you, isn't it, bud? Yeah, we all know Fee's passive perception is not that high. Okay, you grab the cape and you don't wake her up. I run back downstairs with it and grab the captain and pull him around to the backside of the inn where I was watching the storm. Watch. And I hold the cape up. I'm gonna roll a religion check for the captain with advantage, which 
he needs. <gasps> Every time! Every time with this man! I would say I'm sick to bastard death of him, but this one time, this one time he came through for us. It's always the same fucking die! So the captain rolled a nat 20. He looks at the cape, and then he looks at the storm, and then he starts to grin very slowly. Well, we'll be damned. He nods at the storm, and he says, I'd bet you 50 gold pieces this is Kiva's work. Yeah, help me here. Back it up. Who's Kiva? The captain groans so loud. Just so loud. He puts his head in his hands, and he says, Swear to fuck! And then he just drags both hands down his face. I dearly wish you and your sister would communicate. To share information so I wouldn't have to explain the same thing twice. Uh, you know what? Actually, Captain, I will beg you to leave me in the blissful, blissful dark of ignorance just a little bit longer. Because if I find out information from you that my sister can and perhaps should have told me, and she finds out about that on top of the fact that I took one of her personal effects, she will, um, kill me. So why don't you just let me talk to Fee about this, and then we'll all put our heads together and tackle it later, and then we'll both conveniently forget that you and I had this conversation. The captain sighs, and he says, Lad, I don't feel right keeping secrets from a woman I'm in a relationship with. And besides that, I'm stupid. A woman that you're... Okay, I knew the vague details. I don't want any more than the vague details, for the record. <sighs> My sister is trancing, but boy howdy when she wakes up. I will catch up with you in about four hours, okay? Can you just keep your mouth shut till then? He pauses for a second like he's thinking. Oh yeah, I'd give you 85% odds on that. It's fine. I'm gonna be in the room with her. I won't let you do anything stupid. I'm gonna... Oh, fuck me. I'm gonna go. I walk back into the inn, and I just sit and wait for Fee to wake up. Fee, you wake up to a palpably tense atmosphere in this little room that you're sleeping in. You open your eyes, turn over to the side. There's a small table with a couple chairs in one corner of your room, and your brother is sitting at that table with a bag of what appears to be some kind of divinatory bones, just stacking them up like they're a Jenga tower, and then knocking them down, and then starting to stack them back up again. He looks over at you, sees that you are now conscious, and then stands up, plants both hands on his hips, and goes, Good morning, sunshine! We have some things to talk about! No. No. Yes. I don't feel good. I was exaggerating yesterday. I'm going back to trance. No, you're not! Who's Kiva? Oh, it's that conversation. Okay. I'm gonna sit up. Hopefully take some pain medication. Yeah, you have your medicine with you. You have the glass vials the doc gave you back on the ship. Okay, I'm gonna take one of those. 
So, Kiva, um, where do I start? Uh, as far as I know, she was revered in Australia for a while, and then not anymore. There was some kind of, uh, religious mass killing, and then fled to the Zephyr Isles, became kind of a minor spirit here, uh, somewhat of a spirit of death and storms, uh, did send that lightning bolt at me the other day. Um, also my patron spirit, deity, whatever, now, we're a bit on the rocks. Hey, Fee, remember when I got really super frank with you about my religious trauma? Yeah. Leo smiles at you, but it is in a way that he is also quite noticeably baring his teeth and just shakes his head a little bit. Anyway, whatever your Kiva's involved in, it's got something to do with that storm that's off the other side of the island, and there is, and I quote, a big fuck-off cave in the middle of it. I just figured it would be worth mentioning, since, you know, you didn't decide to talk to me about this. Hold on, hold on. There's a cave? Yes, a big fuck-off cave, from what I've heard. (sighs) Damn it. Fee flings her blankets off and starts to get out of bed. Hey, 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 easy, can you stand? Well, I'm going to have to. I had a dream about a cave yesterday, so I guess this is what we're doing now. (sighs) All right, come on, let's go find the captain. Fee, now that you are up and on your feet, you are operating under two levels of exhaustion, so that means that you have disadvantage on all ability checks and your speed is halved. So the steps down to the docks from Eastcliff are a lot. Leo attempts to help you down one flight before he decides that it is a better idea to go back up into the square and get boots to schlep you the rest of the way down. But once you get down there, you see the captain and a couple other members of the crew that are supervising several villagers hauling in timber to help repair the ship. Ascot is facilitating the movement of all this wood up onto the deck, and the headwoman of the village is also down there. You vaguely remember being around her last night? Leo takes a few purposeful steps over to the captain and says, All right, well, she's caught up, so what are we going to do about that? And then he jerks a thumb over his shoulder towards the other side of the island. The captain looks back and forth between you, Fee, and your brother with a look that can only be described as sheer panic. I don't actually feel that caught up. You said there was a a storm and a cave. We do need to go to the cave. I get the sense that ignoring prophetic dreams is not really wise. The captain's eyes are very wide, and he nods at you very slowly. Oi! There's a storm, and there's a cave, and it's apparently very important, and I'm going to help any way I can! Fee nods at him, she goes, You're being extremely weird, but I'm too tired to interrogate it right now. And thank heavens for that! Hmm. No, no! I'll just remember that you said that, and hold on to it. And she kind of like puts a hand to her chest. Right here. Ow, that hurt. He elects to not answer you and turns instead over to the headwoman of the village of Eastcliff, nods very politely, and says, 
Miss Rose, you, uh, wouldn't happen to have any kind of vessel that we could borrow to, uh, take a bit of a trip around to the other side of the island? This woman fully throws her head back and laughs. Promising. Oh, why? You want to sail a dinghy into that thing and expect to come back alive? The captain's smile gets a little more manic, and he just shakes his head. I don't expect to come out of anything alive anymore, ma'am. I think that's part of the reason I still am. To be fair, I have... She kind of, like, waves her hand, and I think she expects it to make a gust cantrip, and instead her fingers just crackle with lightning, and she kind of flinches and blinks and goes, Sorry, I, um... I have a bit of magic that could help us through here. The headwoman looks at you and then takes a very long glance at your cape, nods, and goes, Right then. There's a wee fishing boat you three could use if you uh, really feel that you're up to it. Leo goes, Oh, we are. And the captain goes, We are. We are. Let's go. And that is where we're going to end for this week. It's going to be an interesting time next time we all get together. Oh. You could have waited to take this adventure. No, I could not have. But I guess we'll see how that plays out next time. On Compelled Duel. Hey everybody, Barry here with the Postscript, just clearing up a couple housekeeping things here at the end of the episode. You can find us on social media on Twitter, Tumblr, and TikTok at Compelled Duel. You can also find us on TikTok at Compelled Duel Audios, where we post audio snippets from the show. We have lots of other cool stuff available, like our official Spotify account, our official website. You can find all of that linked on our various social media profiles. We do a weekly Q&A live stream over on our YouTube channel, so if you want to head over there and subscribe to us, come hang out while we answer some of your questions about the episodes and generally just have fun, we'd love to see you. If you're liking what you're hearing so far and you'd like to support the podcast, we ask that you consider heading over to patreon.com slash compelled duel and checking out some of our patron benefits. Starting at just $2 a month, you can get things like early access to new episodes, access to exclusive playlists, other bonus episodes and bonus content, or even letters from your favorite character every month. If you're interested in supporting the podcast in ways other than pledging to the Patreon, if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, we'd really appreciate it if you would consider leaving us a rating and a review because that helps the show get promoted to a wider audience and helps us grow our listener base. And as always, word of mouth advertising is the most powerful tool available to us. So if you like the show, we just ask that you tell a couple friends about it. And if they like it too, ask them to tell a couple friends. Episode 13 is going to be going live on Friday, September 3rd, 2021. Or if you are a member of our Patreon, you'll be getting your early access on Thursday, September 2nd. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next week.